Well, fusion is the process that powers the sun. And what we're trying to do is to harness that same process for producing energy on Earth. Taking the power of the sun and putting it in a box. Easier said than done? That's this week on the Physics Central podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. Fusion energy promises nearly unlimited clean electricity on the cheap. But the thing is, scientists have been promising that for nearly six decades, and we're still not there. There's a running joke that no matter what year it is, fusion power will always be 30 years away. In the early 1980s, we expect to create many thermal megawatts of fusion energy for the first time. And in the late 1980s, we are aimed at producing the first electrical power from fusion. After we operate a fusion demonstration plant in the mid to late 1990s, fusion should then become a commercial reality, ready to begin to relieve our dependence on other energy sources as we start into the 21st century. Missed it by that much. This is from a film produced in 1976 by the Department of Energy promoting its fusion research. Harnessing that power is complicated and way more difficult to master than anyone ever expected. You know, throw in their decades of limited research funding, and it's no wonder that we're way behind schedule. But that's not to say that the research on it is dead. You know, far from it. In fact, this decade is one of the most exciting and pivotal for fusion in the last 40 years. But first, what is fusion energy? It's a kind of energy that harvests the binding power out of the nucleus of a hydrogen atom. So first, you have to start out with two special types of hydrogen atoms. One is called deuterium, made of one proton and one neutron, and the other is called tritium, which is made of one proton and two neutrons. You know, if you knock them together really hard, they'll stick together for a tiny fraction of an instant. But the structure is unstable, and almost instantly, one neutron gets kicked out at very high speeds, releasing huge amounts of energy in the process in the form of heat. This heat is what scientists are trying to capture. You know, with it, they can boil water and use the steam to turn turbines. Now, theoretically, one gram of fusion fuel will produce the same amount of heat as 10 tons of coal. Now, with potential energy gains like that, it's no wonder scientists are working so hard on fusion. Getting these two nuclei close enough to bond for that split second is the tricky part. Two protons in each nucleus repel each other, kind of like how two north pole ends of a magnet repel. There are a couple of tricks to get them close enough to stick, though. The sun naturally uses gravity to pull all of them together, but that's impossible here on Earth. There's literally not enough matter on the entire planet to make that work. The next best way is to heat up the fusion fuel to 100 million degrees centigrade. You know, with this much energy, the bouncing nuclei are moving with such force they can knock right into each other and fuse together. Of course, getting a cloud of hydrogen six times hotter than the core of the sun is no easy task, and controlling it afterwards is even tougher. A thermonuclear bomb is a kind of fusion, but, well, you try getting that to spin a turbine without annihilating it. The machines that can control and harness these temperatures are huge, complex, and expensive, which is a major reason why progress has been so slow. Right now, there are two main methods scientists are exploring to achieve ignition, which is getting more energy out of it than they put in. The National Ignition Facility was completed in 2009 at Lawrence Livermore National Labs in California. What they do there sounds like something out of Star Wars. I talked to Debbie Callahan, a physicist at Livermore. So it, it, using lasers, we um, heat up the outside of a small capsule. It's about a, a millimeter uh, in radius. Inside, we fill that with the deuterium and tritium fuel. 
They place the capsule at the center of a spherical chamber and fire all the lasers at it simultaneously. The capsule implodes on itself, reaches high density and temperature, and we hope to make fusion occur in that compressed core. And more importantly, in a working power plant, they'd have to find a way to harvest that heat. We would take the neutrons, it produces neutrons, and the neutrons would then heat up um, in a reactor, heat up a blanket, and then that blanket would be used to drive turbines and generate electricity in the conventional way that we, drive, we generate electricity today. Like I said, to get this to work takes an enormous and expensive facility. The NIF laser is really a tremendous place. It's The laser itself is about the size of a football stadium. It has 192 laser beams, which then all come together in a chamber where we drive a target that's about a centimeter long. Unfortunately, right now, it's just not working. The lasers fire perfectly fine, but the tiny fuel pellets just aren't collapsing the right way. When they were building it, researchers thought the NIF would easily achieve its goal of ignition by October of 2012. We're about a factor of two to three away from achieving the conditions that we need to achieve to get fusion. What does that mean? Well, we're reaching pressure, so we need to get very high pressure, and we're about a factor of two away from the pressure that we need. Um, we have a plan going forward over the next few years to address the issues that we've identified that have so far present, prevented us from getting ignition, and I guess we see how it goes after that. There's another totally different technique that scientists have been working on almost since the beginning that uses strong magnetic fields to hold and control the burning fusion reaction. These machines are called tokamaks. They look like giant hollow donuts with a burning ring of plasma suspended inside of them. Right now, an international consortium is working together to build the world's biggest tokamak in the south of France. It's called ITER. I talked to Ned Sautoff, the director of the United States' contribution to ITER. ITER started 1985, actually, back in a summit between uh, President Reagan and General Secretary Gorbachev, and it's been in design and R&D for a long time. It's finally now coming together. The different parts are being built in the consortium's seven member countries. Now, on the subatomic level, the fusion's the same. But instead of pushing together nuclei using lasers, it compresses them with magnets. Magnets with fields like 100,000 times that of the Earth confining these energetic charged particles such that they collide with each other and periodically stick. When the particles stick together, they can fuse and then turn into helium and a neutron. The neutrons do not get trapped by the magnetic field. They escape, and they're trapped in a blanket. And that blanket heats the coolant, and that allows us to produce electricity. Now, scientists did once hope that ITER would be able to reach ignition, but since then, they've scaled back their hopes a bit. ITER is the step that focuses on the plasma. It focuses on using the high-octane fusion fuel, deuterium and tritium, and showing that we can produce reactor-scale levels of power, like 500 megawatts, for times in, in the early stages, but around 400 seconds, longer stages, thousands of seconds. There are lots of design challenges that ITER hopefully will be able to answer, like what configuration of magnetic fields to use, or how to make materials that can withstand the onslaught of energized neutrons. But though the fusion reaction will produce some energy, it's still going to cost net more energy to get the reactions going in the first place. Physicists are still moving ahead, working on new designs and new ideas. But right now, like always, it seems that a workable fusion power plant is still, oh, 30 years away or so. That's all for this week's Physics Central podcast. 
Check out our website for photos of the National Ignition Facility, designs for ITER, and other fusion experiments throughout the years. You can also find more of our podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening.